It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. If you haven't learned by now over this past year that you and I have been spending afternoons together, I am an immature person. You give me an opportunity to make an immature joke and I will make it. Uh, You give me an opportunity to be a little irreverent and I will take it. I was often uh, asked to uh, leave the classroom when I was young, making uh, loud and obnoxious comments and jokes and just never shutting my mouth. Uh, in fact, that that's typically that's typically the background shared by uh, by most talk radio hosts. And so here we are today. Uh, and I will say the reason I share that little bit of self-realization and <laughs> with you is that I have I have discounted and joked about something which I should have been taking serious for some time. I, I can remember months ago the the first time I uh, caught wind of this. Uh, of this type of science, Jed Bull was doing uh, a piece on the coronavirus. This is in the earliest days of the coronavirus. Jed Bull with KSL Television, uh, you know, before we all went our separate ways to work from home, he and I uh, shared some cubicle space, and each day would uh, we'd share the different stories that we were working on, and uh, some of Jed's stuff was just so fascinating. And one day, he tells me, he says, hey, Lee, listen, listen to this. You're not going to believe this. The, the, you know, this COVID thing? Yeah, it turns out it might be real. And uh, there are some who have decided that the best way to track its movement and its prevalence and its intensity is to, like, scoop up a little bit of sewage, put it under a microscope, and from there we can extract, uh, you know, big pieces of data in our community. We can know about spread. We can know about concentration. We can know about uh, prevalence or absence. You know, there are some communities where it's just not showing up. Anyway, so that was the first I had heard of this. And as time has gone on, you know, this technology and this approach uh, has uh, been, or at least this approach to monitoring the COVID virus, uh, it it has spread. And the data collected is very important now as policy is determined and we monitor exactly what's happening here in the state. Uh, and so now uh, joining me to have a serious conversation on on the process and what we're learning in particular. What is the data showing us? Uh, I am joined by epidemiologists with the Department of Health here in the state of Utah, Nathan LaCrosse. Uh, Nathan, sir, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. I'll just let me just apologize to you because I don't know who I would apologize to really, uh, but I'm sorry for making fun of the project. Okay, it's no problem at all. <laughs> We're happy you're paying attention. Uh, tell me, I, I we each day we get reports from the Department of Health that tell us data that is extracted from testing. So uh, a certain number of people are tested, the denominator, uh, and then we learn how many uh, receive positive results. We look at the percentages of that. Uh, and over at the state's website, we also are able to look a little more, uh, a little more specifically and a little more granular a sense at uh, where and in what demographic uh, these infections are taking place. But, uh, but the data that you look at, uh, at least to my layman understanding, uh, is a little more broad and comprehensive than any of this testing data. Is that accurate? Yes, that's absolutely accurate. So what we're looking at often 
at least the hope is, and we're seeing evidence that this is in fact true, precedes information we might get from that more traditional testing of individuals um, because we are sampling a broader community as a whole and looking for evidence of the virus in wastewater and sewage, as you said. Our understanding of infection, you know, based on testing data, uh, it is wholly dependent on on individuals seeking testing. And, uh, you know, you're Everyone uses the restroom, and so you get a you get a whole look at the at the at the community and the data. Now we have forty two. Am I correct? Forty two sewage plants in Utah. Each of Up those to forty four on our map now, and we're, okay. we're adding another one as we speak. Outstanding. And each of those uh, testing like this is being done. A sample is collected, and uh, and you look at it under a microscope or however you do it, uh, and then find out uh, what's going on in the community. What are we seeing right now across the state? We're seeing pretty substantial increases in quite a few areas in the state. Um, this is mirroring the thing what we're seeing in those t- the testing of the individuals as well, um, especially in sort of southern U- Salt Lake County, Utah County, um, are probably the most substantial increases currently that we're seeing in the wastewater data. Um, there are increases in other parts of the state as well. So it's very much confirming um, the surging cases that we've been seeing. It's mirrored in this data as well. And that's important because there are skeptics and cynics out there who look at the testing data and they come up with, uh, you know, some which way to to undermine it or to explain it away or, uh, you know, some of it uh, is injected with conspiracy theory. Uh, but, but, but your approach, the data you're looking at, uh, I, I can't think of a, a way to game that system. I mean, there are strengths and limitations with any sort of testing regime, this this one included. Um, there's a, quite a few different factors that we we don't know. There's things we know we don't know, and there's things we are still don't know yet that we don't know them. Um, we're actively working on filling in those gaps, both in the state and with partners in other states and at the federal level as well. Um, but really, any additional information that we can gather um, from any source, this included, just makes the actions that we take that much stronger and more focused. How does this data help? We don't hear of this. We don't hear of the sewage data and the studies based on sewage. We don't hear, uh, like Dr. Dunn making mention of it in the press conferences. Uh, I, I can't think of a time I've, I've heard the governor mention it. Uh, where is this data uh, really studied and used? So there are a, there's a, a number of different uses, sort of three main ones in my mind currently. And that is looking at areas where we're not finding anything yet and then kind of looking for an increase there. So not finding anything, not finding anything, and then the next sample you find something, that tells you something about what's going on in that area. And maybe it's time to start paying closer attention. Areas where you have been detecting it in the wastewater thus far, but you're seeing a substantial enough increase to start paying closer attention once again. Um, That is commonly what we're seeing throughout the state currently. And then also it can be used to help confirm areas where we're seeing decreases in cases. Um, We can sometimes see that mirrored in the wastewater data there as well, and that can help answer questions about whether the decrease in cases is real or if it's due to some other factor like changes in testing. So really, in a lot of ways, the primary use is to help direct 
testing resources is to help identify as early as possible areas that may be seeing a substantial increase in cases before we might otherwise, before we might otherwise be able to identify them and make the best use of the testing resources that we have. Have you, have you seen areas in the state of Utah where it appears, at least in pairing the data of like reported tests, uh, uh, reported positive cases compared with the sewage data, where there seems to be a deliberate or a willing uh, desire not to be tested? Where there's just such a disparity between what's reported and what you see uh, that indicates that, an attitude like that? That's not something that would be really feasible to tease out of this data, I don't think. That's a very complicated question to try to answer. And we're at a stage with this data where there's just, I think, too much that is unknown about a lot of the different factors of how much and how long people shut the virus for, as well as sewer district-specific factors like transit time of the actual sewage and degradation of the viral RNA that gets detected, temperature, things like that. Sure. Makes sense. Uh, listen, again, let me reiterate my apology. Uh, I was making jokes early on when I first heard about this, but now understand that, shoot, this is important science that's uh, informing important policy, and it may very well uh, lead us to the other side of this whole mess we find ourselves in now. Nathan LaCrosse, epidemiologist with the Utah Department of Health. Thank you for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. All righty. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. And in the final segment, I want to talk to you about vaccines, uh, but specifically the way Joe Biden and his running mate Kamala Harris are discussing vaccines. Uh, it, it, it's infuriated me. And I think what they're doing is dangerous. I'll share it with you next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.